0: The other side podcast mission is to discuss important cultural and social issues relating to race, culture, gender, and equality. Welcome to the very first The Other Side podcast. I'm your host, Scott Kirk, a web producer here at the Columbus Dispatch. And I'm joined by my co-host and colleague and partner in crime, Lucas Sullivan, who is a projects and investigations reporter here at the Dispatch. It's cool, man. We're getting this off the ground. I know, man. We've been talking about it for a
1: long time. Talking about it for a long time. Now the
0: day is here. Right. And what we hope to do with the other side podcast is to have candid and thoughtful discussion on topics that are related to equality, gender, race and community. And we won't be afraid to push boundaries and at times talk about subjects that make people uncomfortable. But of course, we plan to have fun, too. And we'll be talking about pop culture topics and what's going on in the entertainment industry. So I think you'll like what we have planned
1: while you're hearing us is we, we've we had a lot of conversations with people outside in the community and internally about how we cover issues of minorities in the city and issues involving women in the city. And so this is a, an attempt by us to try to address those uh, some, I guess you it's fair to call them concerns that, you know, maybe we don't pay enough attention to that as a newspaper. So one of the things that you and
0: I've had a lot of conversations about is the opioid epidemic which is ravaging the country and especially here in Ohio and especially here in Columbus. The dispatch has covered this subject a lot in various different ways in terms of, you know, medical practitioners, what state legislators are doing, local officials are doing. And once again, I'm 38. So I grew up in the 80s. I saw the crack epidemic. I saw how that epidemic was portrayed, how it was handled by the nation, how it was for many african americans it was you know it was used as a as a means to criminalize i mean it was criminalized basically i think for a lot of african americans they're somewhat taken aback by the difference in the way that this epidemic has been handled versus the crack epidemic let me just say this before anybody loses their mind i have not met a black person yet that is not empathetic to anyone who's suffering from drug abuse or sure. drug addiction, I think as a society, everybody wants to, to tackle this problem. But I do think that for a lot of African-Americans, they see what's happening. You know, it just brings up feelings of why it's being handled differently. It's a
1: top down view, yeah. right? It's like how the, how the media and the government is tackling the issues so differently.
0: Absolutely. It's treated as a a medical problem. It seems like with crack, you know, it was stay off for drugs, tough on crime.
1: The face of the crack epidemic was a young black man, right? Absolutely. And the face of the opioid epidemic is young white kids. And how, you know, this became an alarming thing when it started to be pervasive in the suburbs. And, you know, you had white collar people getting hooked on it. You know, we've seen so many images of white parents passed out in cars or in public spaces. And so, you're right. And like you said, we were kids during the crack epidemic largely. Like I was, you know, barely a teenager toward the toward the back half of the crack epidemic, but you're right, the The mantra back then was crack down, lock up, you know, let's get tougher on crime. And I've heard some of the same things that you've heard from people I talk to in the black community. My only perspective to kind of not push back on that, but to say is, The crack epidemic seemed more violent to me, and I don't know if that's fair. I haven't looked at all the numbers to back it up, but you had these deadly mass shootings like in Florida and Miami and L.A., and, and it was in broad daylight, and you saw people getting gunned down, and you haven't seen that with the opioid epidemic because it started in the pharmacies, right? because people were able to just go into a pharmacy and get it in a safer way, whereas crack had to be dealt you know on the on the streets yeah. uh, you know uh, on the underground kind of so I think that's where why you didn't see it but the only thing that that I, I say in that regard is that the the big difference to me between the crack and the opioid explosion was the crack there was so much violence. And with the opioid, it was the just the rise in overdose dose deaths that the drug was taking out people. And when it was crack, it was, you know, the violence that you saw. I don't know if it's if that's a fair argument to make, but it just seems like there are some differences a little bit.
0: Actually, yeah, I saw some research that basically one crime in general is down. It's at lower levels than it was in the 80s. So that overall plays into it. But I, I think you're right. I think it's the nature of of um the the type of drug plus we live in a you know we live in a time where with cell phones and social media you could just text your dealer or whoever you don't actually need to drive into a bad neighborhood and approach somebody on the street corner and then when you have competing drug turfs and, and and so I, I think there's there's a lot of reasons why probably there was more violence then than now and 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 that i'm sure that plays into the
1: stigma it is correct though that as far as the, how the media has tackled these two epidemics, it's been drastically different. And I think that that's a fair criticism to talk about. The coverage has been more empathetic, I think. But again, I wasn't reading every newspaper and watching right. every TV show back then, so I can say that you know in a vacuum. But it does seem, and I know from talking to people in the black community, there's some legitimate anger and frustration about that. And so we've talked about internally well so how do you how do we cover it like what so what do you want us to do for those who criticize us about that like how do you want us to cover it because as you said on a human level we all want this to stop like we want this epidemic to go away but at the same time in covering it you know how do you make it more of a of a fairer or more you know, closely resembling. I don't know. And and it's hard for us to, you know, we don't, we don't go back as media members. We don't go back a lot. We don't study historically how things are covered. We cover it in the moment. Right. And we cover it, how, how people are telling us, you know, giving their reaction and, and the data, like the way we cover things, it's not a reactive approach. We're trying to be proactive and figure out how to fix it and, and cover in a way that, helps solve the problem
0: right i agree i mean obviously you you can't go back and take back the coverage from 20 years ago that is what it is i think that for a lot of african americans i think the hope is that the next time that there's another drug epidemic which you know hopefully there won't be but Certainly a possibility. And and maybe the next time that epidemic affects the African-American community more so than suburban white America, that the same empathetic, sympathetic attitude that's that's being taken now is extended to African Americans the next go round if there god forbid there is a next go round so i i think for for a lot of african americans not i mean yes it, it it brings up feelings of of like you said anger and 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 some other things but i think for a lot of people their thing is that just going forward that the treatment and the approach and, and the way it's it's handled is the same. So sure. if, if that's what we're doing now, if, if we're treating drug addiction and drug abuse as a sickness that society needs to to remedy versus treating it as a criminal thing, that we just lock them up and give tougher sentences for, for drug sales and then I think that that yeah, then it's probably going be going to be an issue. Right. I just want to read this really quick. This is from the Washington Post and the author's name is Ed Stelzer. And he's actually a pastor who wrote a column saying how he his opinion has changed since the crack epidemic because he was one of those people that was one of the tough on crime people. And, and so now he's taken a, a more sympathetic approach. And, and this is what he said. I quote first crack cocaine was perceived as a threat to American society. Second, this period was characterized as anti-drug extremism. Americans were consumed with disgust and fear of the drug rather than the concern for the people who had become ensnared in it. Instead of getting rid of a drug, we tried to get rid of the people. We made groups, constructed labels and tried to do everything we could to separate what we perceive as the clean from the unclean, in many cases, the white from the black. So I'm not saying that racism is, you know, the underlying reason for all of this. But I do think that the next time going forward, the media, the country, our faith, uh, base leaders. I just hope that they remember
1: this moment. Sure. That is a very fair critique of how so far it's been handled compared to how the crack epidemic was handled. I mean, that's dead
0: on. So let's change gears a little bit and talk about the Me Too movement. Joining us, we have Mindy McFan, who is the founder of Hear Jane Roar, which is an organization That she started by inviting women to come to her home and tell their stories of overcoming sexism and sexual assault and racism, as well as the glass ceiling. Thanks for joining us today, Mindy. Thanks for having me. Obviously, the Me Too movement has exploded uh, across the country, and you have uh, women who have been going public with their stories of um, sexual harassment and in some cases sexual assault. And so uh, Lucas and I, we were kind of wondering would you think in terms of, do you think that it's really having an effect in terms of changing the way men relate to women and their behavior?
2: I certainly hope so, and I don't say that at all to denigrate men. It's just we have lived in a world where women have been thought to be, I mean, the word hysterical has its origins in our bodies. So we were written off a long time ago as telling our truth as we are being hysterical or, or other adjectives that meant don't believe them. So that was like the status quo. And so you grow up learning not to tell, not to tell the truth, because the reaction to the truth will not be pleasant. So men have grown up with that same um, indoctrination that women are not to believe be believed. They exaggerate that it's not true, necessarily. And uh, what we have hoped through the storytelling is that it breeds a familiarity, that if you hear enough women's stories, not necessarily about abuse, they could be about anything. It makes us three-dimensional, and it makes it much harder to say, I don't believe it, when it's your sister talking, when it's your neighbor talking, when it's your coworker, when it's your mother, when it's your aunt. It puts a different face on it, and it's hard to say, ah, she's exaggerating.
0: So one of the things that some men are trying to navigate since all of this kind of came out is I think some men are not clear on, you know, obviously there's there may be a little hypersensitive in the sense that obviously they don't want to do anything that could even possibly be misunderstood or misconstrued or be offensive uh, mm-hmm. to a woman, maybe a woman they work with or they just kind of casually know. And so I think in my conversations with some of the, um, the men I know, a lot of guys whose intentions certainly were not to to be offensive or harass a woman but maybe they just wanted to express interest maybe they just wanted to compliment the woman and in some cases it was inappropriate or it was too much what what's your advice what advice would you give a man who wants to um stay on the right side of this issue
2: i have true empathy for that not just because of the issue but i have three sons and i certainly think they are wonderful people i was made very aware of how sensitive and how difficult this was for men to navigate when I was talking to a young guy who is gay and he was worried and thinking about his past, has he ever been inappropriate or offensive to a woman? And I thought, now if he's concerned, this must be a huge issue for a lot of men to try to navigate. I think with great freedom comes great responsibility and I think we hit a time in history which I could not begin to pinpoint when it was all about freedom and People kind of left out the responsibility half of it. I say this, and I'm going to speak to this um, not only through the eyes of here Jane Roar, but I'm also an etiquette teacher. And what I tell the people I teach etiquette to, or the kids, is that manners are just or is just organized kindness. I think it's very hard to handle freedom when you leave out all the rules. I think all men have to question basically is, am I being a gentleman? And that shouldn't be based on a woman's behavior. It doesn't matter what the woman's doing. It doesn't matter how she's dressed. It doesn't matter how she's behaving. It shouldn't be a reactive uh, behavior. It should be a man wakes up every morning and says to himself, I'm going to be a gentleman. A gentleman has these rules. Very easy to find out. You could Google it real easily and find out what that means if your parent's weren't able to teach you those rules but you have to wake up and say I'm going to be a gentleman and it's not dependent on what a woman does I think so often men's behavior has been reflective well if she does this then I can do that if she behaves this way then I can do that and I think you have to separate those two things that there are going to be women who behave well and women who do not behave well and that shouldn't decide your behavior You have to decide whether you're going to be a gentleman or not.
1: Is it a general rule of thumb for men, though? Like, should we just stay away from comments about women's appearance in the workplace, especially? You know, even if you get a a haircut, even saying things of like, oh, your hair looks really nice or, you know, oh, it makes your face, it brings out your, like, should we just stay away from all that kind of commenting?
2: Well, I mean, I talk about my etiquette class is that the personal statements And personal comments about people any more than you would go up to a woman and and say, are you pregnant or why don't you have children? Those are personal things. Mm -hmm. It's not appropriate to make personal comments about somebody who's not a personal part of your life, i.e. somebody you live with or a relative. So to go to work and talk to somebody about something personal about them isn't appropriate. Mm -hmm. And so there is a line to be drawn. The idea that women need to hear that, to feel good about themselves is a misnomer. I would re- much rather have somebody come to work and say, "You did a really good job. I like the way you handled that than to tell me I have pretty shoes on. Mm. But I think everything got blurred because with the freedom of not having rules as we did a hundred years ago, or whatever, nothing replaced it. And so it left everybody kind of floundering, and everything got mixed in. So how do I behave at home? How do I behave at work? I dress casually here. Do I have to act like I'm not dressed up? I mean, all of those kind of things. And I think we have to have those guidelines because otherwise people get confused.
1: I have another question for you. I have two girls, and they're nine and Mm -hmm. seven. And I grew up with brothers. Mm -hmm. So it was a male. I remember asking my mom when I started seriously dating my wife and she was into things that I didn't know about certain types of purses, certain types of shoes. And I remember going to my mom and saying, mom, how come you never asked for that kind of stuff growing up? She goes, I grew up around boys all the time like I was out Mm -hmm. playing Tonka trucks. And so why would I wear nicer shoes when I'm out doing that stuff? So it's all about perspective. I get it. But the one time where I stopped and said, okay, wait a second, I think this has gone too far was I made the comment of in talking about women's issues and empowering women, I said, as the father of daughters. And my wife jumped me for that. Yes, And she goes, you don't need to be a father of daughters to relate or have empathy for something or just be a decent human being. But for me, I kind of pushed back. Uh, I didn't kind of. I pushed back in a way I could I defended could push, you, by the way. In a way I could push back, and I said, I'm not trying to sound like that. All I'm saying is this issue is important to me because I am a father of daughters, and that's, that's where right. I was coming from, but she still looked at me like I was an old dumb white guy. <laughs>
2: Wow, that low, huh?
1: <laughs> well, I mean, you know, she was on a rant that day. So we had I, a conversation about it. Yeah, and so, I, 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 so I'm just wondering your thoughts. Like, should I just er- eliminate that phrase from my vocabulary?
0: I think that
2: intention matters, what your intention was. I think women have to be empathetic to how scary this subject is for men, in particular fathers. It's a terrifying thought. If you have grown up as a man and you have been in locker rooms and been in situations where you have seen men behaving badly, and it's all abstract until your daughter walks in the door, and then it gets real scary,
1: it gets real.
2: That is the kind of thing, it's when I say in my least sympathetic moments when all the things about Harvey Weinstein, all these things started coming out, I'm ashamed to say I was kind of enjoying the idea that there were men out there who hadn't been caught yet and that they were terrified their number was up next. And I was enjoying the fact that they got to be afraid the way we've had to be afraid Mm. since the beginning of time in so many situations. So I am empathetic. I have a daughter. I know how my husband feels. It's a scary thought. So... I don't know that there is a right way to be a father or a right way to talk about that. I know there's a right way to make a daughter think that it is never okay for somebody to speak in a way that makes her uncomfortable. It is never okay for somebody to lay one hand on her unless she says okay, and it's very clear. I think it's a very important thing for a father to send a message to a daughter that you are a standalone person, and I respect you, and everybody around you should respect you. And I think daughters learn that by they watch the way you treat your wife. They watch the way you treat them. They watch what you think is okay and don't think is okay. But I can't help not feel empathy because you're dealing in the abstract. I mean, as scary as it is, it's not happening to you. I mean, I can understand racism on a huge level, but I can't understand it because I've never had a cop pull me over. So it's a different kind of thing. It makes me want to scream and cry But I've never walked the walk. And so it's always going to be a little abstract to me, just like anything to do with why women, how women are so afraid. The level and depth of it is going to be a little abstract. So to say every man is going to say the right thing every time, well, that's not going to happen.
1: Let's talk about fathers and sons for a second. Uh I remember being a teenage boy and we didn't talk a lot about sex in my household and I never got the birds and the bees talk. And so it wasn't something that was in my face at all. But I remember hanging around my friends and at a certain age, it starts to get talked about. Are you still a virgin or have Mm -hmm. you have you touched a girl? Have Mm -hmm. you have you seen a girl naked? It becomes something that you talk about among your friends. And I think for me, looking back on it, and having some perspective now, I wish someone would have taken me aside, another man, and said, stop it with that stuff, and you need to realize, you know, what girls are going through, and they don't feel the same way, and they're not having those same discussions, and set some boundaries, but I don't think fathers are having that discussion with their sons, because I think that's where it has to come from, and I wonder if you agree.
2: Absolutely, it matters. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you for your honesty, because I think that is, Hugely important to honestly talk about these things. And, of course, fathers have to raise their sons. You can't slap your wife on the butt and then tell your son to respect women. Mm. It's just not going to happen. The example you set with how you treat your wife is huge for your son and your daughter. Absolutely. Do these conversations have to happen? Yes. They have to happen daughter to daughter, father to daughter, father to son, mother to son. It's one of the reasons the storytelling for Here Jane was our step-off point. It was the talking because you got to tell the story over and over and over again and louder and louder and louder and have as many possible people to hear it because then the conversation becomes normalized to have. And hopefully with that, the education and the awareness and all those kind of things, it's not a secret anymore. It's just what people talk about and it becomes real. So you can say to your son, it's a perfectly normal conversation to have. We don't treat women like that. We don't talk about women on TV. We don't objectify them. It's a conversation you should have the second a child is born.
1: And Scott, I don't know if you feel this way or if you've experienced this too, but I know when I'm talking amongst my friends, when a friend gets engaged and you're close with that friend, that buddy, at some point you have a conversation of, is she a virgin? Mm -hmm. And then the conversation is, are you a virgin? Wait a minute, with my Mm -hmm. friends? I, well, I already know that. I, I'm saying we that have. That ship has sailed along. <laughs> no, I'm saying that we you have that conversation. And when guys talk about it, they want their wife to be this like pure virgin type Who? thing. In their 30s and, 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 but, and 40s? But, but no, but for men, I'm talking like in your, when you get married for the first time. Uh-huh. But for uh-huh. men, it's like if you were a virgin well, and you're getting married, your buddies yes. are saying, what's wrong with you? This is a complete double standard. But I think it's because we're not having those conversations. I don't you know, we kind of make men feel ashamed if they're virgins by the time they're in their twenties. Huh. And until I think until those conversations change or those conversations happen more and it's say it's okay, then it's not going to change as much. I don't know. I think that's one of the areas where we, we as men, we really need to work on that. part yeah. of it. We need to start with little boys
0: and little girls, you know, I grew up in a single parent household. I mean, my father's been involved in my my whole life. But in my younger years, I, I grew up in a house with my grandmother, my aunt and my mother. And I think the way I relate to women and I look at women, a lot of that comes from them sure. teaching me how to treat women the way that they expected to be treated. And so I think, you know. So you need moms who who tell their their sons, you know, make sure you respect women, make sure you do this, as well as fathers. But I think a lot of times, like you said, you know, most dads encourage their it's you know it's part of masculinity, this alpha masculinity. Yeah. You, you know, you're supposed to get as many women sleep with as many women as you possibly but, can. Yeah,
1: you brought up a good point yeah. with boys because I've had this happen in the last month. And it's happened mm-hmm. many times where one of my friends, they have a son, and within the first three minutes talking about him, they're talking about the size of his genitals. Yep. Wow. Like, yep. he was born with whatever. You know, and it's it, it sounds ridiculous to say that out loud, but when you're having those conversations with your friends over beers or whatever, it kind of, yes. it just gets a laugh or it's like, it's kind of like it's an long. attaboy. Right.
2: I really think you've hit on something that's incredibly important, that sexism damages everyone. Sexism is horrible for women, but it has huge repercussions to men, too, because it makes men be something. I can only speak to the men in my life that they don't want to be. My sons don't want to be overbearing or all powerful or in charge of everything but you're right society puts a lot of pressure on men to make a lot of money drive the car be excellent in bed just be all doing and never cry and never be upset and all those kind of things it is i think a result of sexism this is what happens to men also and it's horrible it's horrible it's why men die of heart attacks it's a horrible process for everybody, and I agree with you wholeheartedly. With sexism or racism, to me, the only answer is every single one of us has to be brave. We have to step out of what we're used to. We have to step out of what we, what's more comfortable to do and do the right thing. And doing the right thing is not easy. It doesn't mean you shouldn't do it. I'm not saying everybody has to be Gloria Steinem or Martin Luther King. Everybody has to do something. You have to, you have to be part of that process. To any degree, you can. If that's talking to your son, if that's being in a locker room saying, hey, that's not cool with me, stop this conversation, I'm out. When somebody says something inappropriate, you say, that makes me really uncomfortable. Mm. Whatever it is, you have to contribute to the change.
0: Mindy, I just have one more question for you. First of all, do you see this this issue as there's a spectrum of offenses, and do you think that the response should be proportionate the offense so for example you know you have things from you know something as simple as maybe someone makes a comment all the way Mm -hmm. to you know allegations of rape and obviously Mm -hmm. we're not talking about anything physical or violent or anything like that for instance so if a man makes an inappropriate comment to a female co-worker should he be fired or should he just simply be reprimanded should he receive a stern talk or do you think that in every case it should be the most extreme reaction
2: i think we have to allow for a learning curve and we have to allow for ignorance and we have to allow for people's humanity i would hope if a guy and it matters to the degree it matters that if somebody wants to grab me as opposed to somebody who says you have nice legs say i think Since we are all part of this, I think women have to also learn to say, please don't talk to me like that. I think 90% of men, if you said, please don't talk to me like that, would stop. That is a trap. It's something women have to learn to do is to stand up for themselves. And you don't scream at somebody. You don't swear at them. You don't try to degrade them as men. You just say, that's not okay with me. Stop it. That's all. And I think that will stop a lot of men and teach them. And that's much better than humiliating somebody. Humiliation makes people angry and it makes them lash out. So if you can find a way to let somebody retain their dignity while getting, while retaining yours, I would say that would be the best course of action. We can't fire everybody to say we're going to fire everybody that's a sexist or racist. There's only going to be two people left working in this world. So we've got (laughs) to find a way to undo all this crap. Without lopping off everybody's head for trying to be kind, trying to come together, I mean, it's the only answer. I don't want to be in a war, but that's a ludicrous way for me to solve a problem. How can I do this and make everybody, uh, I, I love the, how do you have an argument and everybody comes out whole? I would like everybody to come out whole as much as possible. So I've got to stand up for myself. I've got to be brave. I've got to call people on things. I have to inform people. And other people have to go to jail. I mean, if you do something criminal, you, you're you out of luck. I agree. But short of that, I think education, we are in a point of educating. And I love men. I, have, I love the men in my life dearly. And I don't want them to be afraid to make a mistake. I want them to know if they make a mistake, somebody will say no. And they'll go, oh, I get it. That was so, what was I thinking? Stop, take a breath, and redo. Because I'm not perfect.
0: Thank you. Yes. So once again, thank you, Mindy McFan of Hear Jane Roar. And I'm sure we'll uh, have you on again in the future.
2: Thank you so much. You have a good afternoon.
0: You too, thank, thank you. Me. All right. Anything else? No, man. This was good. Thank you for tuning in. Thanks for joining us. We hope to have many more episodes of this podcast in the future. And we'll have very interesting guests, stimulating conversation. At some point, we'll probably get some uh, social media accounts going so you guys can... Send us your questions and feedback, and we can just make the show even better. In the meantime, I believe all of the stories that we talked about today you can find on the Columbus Dispatch website at mm-hmm. dispatch.com. You can also find Lucas's amazing work, and you can also get in contact with him there. Until the next time, thanks for joining us.